Welcome to Asset Management Group's private client-only podcast with Andrew Nida and Mo Param. It's Andrew and Mo, October 23rd, here with you at the AMG Private Client Podcast. We hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody had a wonderful, great weekend and off to a great start to their week. Mo, how you doing, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. Spent uh, this weekend was a good weekend. Busy weekend. Busy weekend. But good busy, weekend. busy, but good one. Uh, yesterday, had the fortunate or unfortunate pleasure, depending on how you look at it, to go to a car dealership and get Amber a car. There's nothing fortunate about that. <laughs> <laughs> fortunate because, you know, she... You could get her a car. I can get her a car. Unfortunate right. it's just dealing with the hassle. Oh, man. Ugh. It's a process, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, so we... Uh, well, you know what? Fortunate or unfortunate, I had to dress up and go to a Halloween party. Oh, really? <laughs> Listen, I recommend every single individual that is a client of our firm to take the time and go and like and be our friend on Facebook. Yes. Amy Nida, Andrew Nida. Mo Param, uh, Amber Param. Yeah, why not? I mean, you know, you got to know us more than just business and kind of get a feel of the family and you're going to see some photos that you're intrigued on. <laughs> Oh man, no! It was uh, it was actually a good weekend. We uh, I got friends of ours who, I mean, listen, I, I'm fortunate in that most, if not a good majority, of the friends that I grew up with in high school, still to this day, are really close friends with. That kind of goes for Amy too. That I think it's a unique experience that both of us have. You know, a lot of a lot of friends that we still hang out with that we grew up with, essentially. So, so anyway, the party we do this every year. And it's, uh, you know, it's always a ton of fun. It's always a lot of work. I think the women make it a lot of work, actually. But, but yeah, it was, uh, it was good. We were the Sandlot. I was going to say, you're going to tease us on what, you, what your costume was? or we, we were the Sandlot. From the movie? The yeah. The movie Sandlot? Yeah. Yeah. Check this out. Did you not see it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that oh not good? God. Is that worth everybody going to our Facebook? It is worth it. That is worth it. You've got to see Andrew. <laughs> I was killing it. I was the... Uh, Look at Amy. <laughs> I was uh, Squints. Squints. And Amy's the uh, the hot... Uh, lifeguard. Lifeguard. Yeah. And I was Squints. That's funny. You know, I laid down... That's a good costume. ...in front of everybody in an attempt for her to take one photo, you know, of, oh. of like mouth to mouth, mouth yeah. yeah, saving my life. I would have died. And she died to it. Yeah, I would have died. Yeah, she had no interest. She's like, oh, but if you're really not doing well, we'll just <laughs> we'll just wait on that. Anyway, no, it was a fun weekend, fun time. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed getting out with friends and family, and that's what it's all about. So keep on moving. And uh, yeah, anything else for the weekend? Are we ready to jump in? Yes, jump in. It's time for the most important minute of the week. It's time for the bull. <laughs> Bear. Market Minute. Oh, it is time for the Bull Bear Market Minute, and it is a minute worth listening to. Boy, was it a rough week last week. Debt markets resumed its sell-off, and to be honest with you, wrecked havoc, as most of you probably already know if you watched your accounts on the equity markets. S&P 500 fell 2.4%. The Dow sank 1.6%. NASDAQ shed 3.2%. And the Russell 2000 lost 2.3%. Off note, 
But an important note, the S&P 500 closed below its 200-day moving average. Wow. After, after failing to regain its 50-day moving average. So, you know, point being, it was a tough week. Yeah. I mean, if uh, a lot of technical ana- uh, analysts see that as a troubling sign. Yeah, you know, for where, sure. Where you're, not, where you're not holding your 200-day moving average. Yeah, it's almost like a, uh, you know, I guess I shouldn't use the word pivot, but it seems like a popular word in today's, you know, economy. Mm-hmm. So it seems like maybe a pivot or a change of direction, a commitment to a change of direction. Right. Um, when you break through that floor of that 200-day moving average. With that said, on a brighter note, <laughs> economic news also showed a resilience in consumer, in the consumer, uh, as retail sales seem to beat expectation. Yeah, U.S. sales uh, increased more than expected. Like you said, Andrew, in September, uh, households stepped up purchases of motor vehicles and restaurants and bars. You, uh, you were a contributor to that, by the way. Well, not oh, that, not last month. But this month. Oh, oh, yeah. So October numbers. We'll, yeah. we'll see with the uh, yeah, <laughs> with with the motor support. vehicles. I'll tell you this much: I was expecting to see a quiet dealership. Maybe it wasn't as as vibrant as it was when I bought my car, what two years ago. Mm-hmm. But yeah, people were buying cars. Yeah, it yeah. was it was not an empty right. um, dealership. But you know, and take note, that's you were at one dealership. That's like going to a church in the south. They they hundreds of hundreds them, of everywhere. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, no, retail sales came out stronger than expected, you know, rising 0.7% uh, uh month over month, I guess uh against an estimated 0.3. So uh, you know, the this core measure excludes more volatile categories like auto, gas, and building materials, but that surged, you know, 0.6 month of a month uh, from the gain of uh, 0.2 from in August. So, um, you know, what we saw was, you know, in September, what really led the way was was autos. Yeah. You know, autos led the way. Which is, restaurants it's still and, tough. And f- about the autos? Yeah, just, you know, I keep thinking that it's tough for, it would be a challenge for the average individual or family to make those types of purchases, you know, in the environment that we're in. I just, but you're right. I mean, it just continues. I guess that's why they say it's resilient. I think, you know, I think interest rates have been a topic now for, you know, quite such a long time. And the idea of, you know, higher for longer continues to be widespread. I think the consumer is just saying, this is the reality that we're in right now, Mm -hmm. you know, and you know, it, it's it's almost like you know the the old adage for houses, right? You, what is it? You you buy you, you marry the house, you date the interest rates, and for maybe some of these consumers out there, they look at it, interest rates and they say, "You're right, it's high right now," but hopefully, pessim- uh, optimistically, maybe I'll be able to refinance or you mm-hmm. know, when, when rates get down, uh, go down in a year or two. You're gonna be dating for a long but you're gonna be time. time. <laughs> yeah. This is this is this is not old school where you get married quick. You know what I mean? You're yeah. gonna be dating for a minute. For a minute. Yeah. For a minute. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. But yeah, we have a resilient, a resilient consumer base here. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, but yeah, autos, restaurants, and bars were were basically leading the way. That defines uh, resilience. That defines. <laughs> I mean, if you're gonna make a bad decision, might as well go to a restaurant and a bar and, and drink we, your sorrows away, right? We, we, <laughs> we're the category that's number two, leading the economy, uh, literally. But uh, bars and drinks. Bars and drinks. Uh, bars and drinks. Mm. Un- un- unbelievable, unbelievable. But yeah, no, it's um, you know 
we saw a lag in like clothing and that type of retail. What what one may think um, as far as like the resiliency uh, of the of the consumer. Because I drink it too much. I drink I can't, too afford, much. <laughs> can't afford the clothes. Uh, you know, electronics. Uh, like I said, clothing was down. Building materials were down as well. Right, which makes sense. Which makes sense. I think so. Which makes sense a lot. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think this week you mentioned before about the S and P breaking its moving two uh, hundred day moving uh, two hundred day moving average. You know, we have a lot coming out this week as far as who's um, reporting earnings. You know, we're having a lot of the big tech uh, uh, announcing their earnings this week. You know, we all, we'll have Alphabet, Amazon, Microsoft, uh, Meta. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of analysts are hoping that we get positive earning reports from these companies because we, we know that they are leading the S&P 500 as yeah. far as like their market capitalization. And they're hoping that, you know, these big tech companies can help bring a rally to the S&P 500. Yeah, which, you know, I think real quick, kind of a side note to what you're saying. We've talked about this with many of you guys in meetings, but it's it's an interesting world living, you know, through where you see the S&P 500 return to where they are as far as cap weighted S&P 500 in comparison to the equal weighted S&P. I mean, there's such a massive divergence between the spread of those two right. indexes, which, which from our perspective points to the concept that, you know, diversification in a world like we live in today, although it's fundamentally the right thing to do. It's also harmful if you're trying to track a market like specifically the S&P 500 uh, from a cap weighted perspective. Right. You know, just because, you know, the Magnificent Seven, if you're not owning them or only them. Oh, only them. Yeah. You're just not going to keep up. Um, so, you know, a note of the week that we wanted to throw out there too real quick from an economic standpoint is mortgage rates. We thought this is an important note. Mortgage rates have topped 8% for the first time since 2000. Mm. Um, and, you know, the spread between the 30-year mortgage rate and 10-year treasury yield is now 300-plus basis points, well above, which is what, you know, normally resides around 160. The last time, listen to this, Mo, the last time that this spread was reached was in 2008, and before that, the 1980s. Mm. Yeah, so kind of a a significant number there and you know when it comes to when it comes to the housing market as a whole um you know we are continuing to see kind of the downtrend if you will um and and really that goes with all indices kind of like what you're saying you know mm-hmm. with with building supplies and materials kind of dropping yeah um and we're seeing that also in the in the housing industry across the board so september housing starts we're up less than expectations as tighter, tighter financial conditions, rising mortgage rates, and higher prices, which is all that we know, right? These are all the things fighting mortgages and fighting new construction, et cetera. Um, but last month, starts collapsed and permits grew, okay? We saw this in the month of August. And, and when you think about it, getting permits in the construction world, especially the residential space, Builders, contractors are out there. They're getting permits, which is kind of a leading indicator to, you know, the project that's going to be done, right? right. They've got to have the permits first. So when you're looking at the broad macro level of the residential space, you're using permits oftentimes as a leading indicator to what you think is going to happen in, in the residential world. And 
you know, that's kind of the silver lining. That was, you know, the month of August. But in the month of September, we kind of saw the opposite. Um, Starts, which is new construction, rose above new permits, which ended up dropping 4.4% and is now down 7.2% on a year-over-year basis. Wow. So, you know, keep your eye on that. It's, it's, uh, I still think with resi- with, um, the residential space, although we're seeing a pullback, although we're seeing a drop in pricing for materials to try to accommodate and stimulate the, you know, that industry, I, I think it's more geographically mm-hmm. affected, if that makes sense. I yeah. think there's pockets in the U S where you're going to see that more dramatically across the board than you are in others. Uh, here in the suburbs of Atlanta, suburbs of Birmingham, the pressure's too high. There's just not the inventory. There's not. And for that reason, I think you see less of an impact, maybe lower volume, but less of a price depreciation. Right. And, and you know, just we just got too much pressure here. Yeah. Yeah. No, if you want to move into these areas, I mean, the, the inventory is low, so the pressure stays high. Yeah. Right. So we'll see, you know, and uh, for me, though, still a slow process. You guys know we have our house listed. I've mentioned that a few times on the show, and uh, it's now two weeks, Sam. We've had one viewer, and, you know, we're in a a rural area of Georgia, and, you know, for that reason, the price point that we're at is fairly aggressive. So we'll see, you know, we'll see what happens, but kind of some slow action, which we expected to begin with. Yeah. Um, So with that said, that's kind of the update. You want to, we want to jump into kind of the keynote of the week but taxes but don't question me you wrote, you wrote the show <laughs> yeah taxes taxes yeah we, we talked yeah. about medicare last week we talked about the medicare last week last week and you know we're, we're in our tax planning season some of you uh, we've already contacted you and and put together you know what our strategies are for the rest of this year for our for our, for tax strategies for you but yeah we're in a season now where there's a lot of opportunities that we can uh, uh, implement to to uh, take full advantage of the taxable situation and taxable environment and the tax environment that we're in right now, mm-hmm. and so one thing uh, recent that has been um, pretty much pretty much issued is the new tax not the new tax brackets but the new income within the tax brackets have are 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 set to be released fairly soon. And it's going to look like, you know, there's going to be some tax savings for individuals in different tax brackets. You know, it's going to give you an idea for the married couple that is uh, currently right now in 2023, for instance, those making somewhere between 190000 to 364, you're currently in the 24% tax bracket. But it's estimated that next year that'll increase for, to 201000 to 383. So some of those that are in the... Uh, you know, that are right off uh, in that, you know, kind of the beginning of that bracket, you'll see a little bit of a tax break starting next year. There you go. Before, yeah. before the, the expected uh, increase in 2025. In, in, yep. Income in 2025. And then standard deduction looks like it's going to go up again, uh, starting next, uh, again, next year. Um, yeah. So, you know, that helps a lot of people because I think like 85, 86% of taxpayers use their standard deduction. They're not really itemizing. Right. So we can get another, get another tax break there. Yeah. And it's getting pretty aggressive. It's at, it's at a good level. Yeah. You know, at least compared to what it used to be. Um, so, you know, two weeks ago on the show, we talked about really how to handle tax planning from a, from a contribution standpoint. These are for individuals that are still working actively, contributing and saving 
Um, but we want to take today today's conversation, at least for the few minutes that we have, and talk about it from a you know from a liquidity standpoint and a distribution perspective. Okay, now we're not going to hit conversions yet, so it's kind of a twist. What we don't what we want to talk about is how to how we structure assets from a taxable standpoint to control withdrawal. Okay. Okay. So the importance of, of saving correctly is so that you have simply options when you retire. Okay. Um, the way that I save personally, the way that you save Mo, when we're putting money back, whether it's our Roth 401k or traditional 401k or Roth IRAs, we're back during Roth contributions because we income cap out or whatever the issue is, we're doing so because we feel that today it makes more sense to pay the tax or to not pay the tax to put us in a position later where we have more flexibility and control. But that later time frame is important. Okay. So really what we're talking about when we say later, what are you saving for? You're saving for that, that, that season of life where you get to play the game on your home field against the IRS. Now this works well for early retirees it works well from early, you know, let's say late 50s, which is very challenging for, for people to retire in their late 50s. But that's an extremely early retirement right. on through their 60s until they're reaching their early 70s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you save correctly, you're going to come and you're going to say, hey, I'm ready to retire. And retirement equals the need for cash flow oftentimes from your assets. And so when you have the structure of your assets, Mo, let's talk through like the flexibility that comes with having taxable money, tax deferred money or retirement accounts, keep it simple, qualified accounts and or tax free and how that could be managed for an early retirement to help support things such as, you know, healthcare um, and other things that are important to tax planning. Yeah. So, you know, when I think of early retiree, I, <clears throat> excuse me, I think of, like you mentioned, maybe late 50s, early 60s, uh, you know, basically before 65, 70. And so when you have those three different buckets, then you are, here's a scenario. You don't have the, the uh, you have the decision of whether you want to take Social Security or not, for instance, right? So, well, actually, if you're 55 and before, if you're 55, then you don't, you can't take Social Security. But, you know, that is, um, you have the ability to start to use either one of those vehicles as a distribution stream, and by doing that, you're able to dictate, you know, in some aspects, what your tax, where where do you fall within your tax brackets, you know, because if you start to, you know, if you're looking at an early retirement prior to 65 years old, one of the big things that kind of make people a little worried about fi- or retiring before 65 is health insurance, mm-hmm. right? So if you're not eligible for Medicare quite yet, then, you know, taking distributions from, let's say, a taxable account or a Roth account, for instance, those in those those distribution, well, from a Roth is tax-free, from a taxable account, it's, you know, it could vary, but you can you may be eligible for some type of subsidy, right? Because your income can be very manageable depending on how which lever which levers you you pull from those accounts. Um, but p- prior to age seventy, you have the ability if you have the option to start Social Security or not. So if you don't use that income stream, so then the distributions from those assets can actually help 
give you the ability to push Social Security down to age 70, getting those 8% mm-hmm. increases. So you do have the ability to somewhat manage your your tax brackets before different uh, different uh, income streams are forced upon you. Right. Right. And that and that goes back to, you know, planning way ahead right. and how you save. But you're 100 percent correct. You want to have the flexibility to not only distribute from the correct source to help yourself qualify, <clears throat> excuse me, to help yourself qualify for certain subsidies like health insurance benefits, which, guys, by the way, that is a significant subsidy. You know, you're talking about someone who, you know, especially for a for a husband and a wife, it, we're talking could be, you know, 15, 20, 25,000 dollars a year worth of subsidy coming coming from the federal government to help cover the cost of your insurance. Right. Okay, now, contrary to that, you take someone who's eligible but they need money to retire, so they're having to take a distribution of, you know, 70, 80 grand plus from their retirement vehicle. That 70, 80 grand completely voids the 15 to 20 grand that you're getting in subsidy. So you're literally taking out money and immediately giving it back away, which otherwise you would be getting as a benefit. Right. So it's very, it can be very problematic and very contradicting during that season, but to give yourself the option, you got to save correctly. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, and then the other, the other point that I wanted to throw with that is just simply um, controlling the distribution game from a, not, not so much from an early retirement, but just in general, you know, having assets structured in a way that, that supports conversion and supports withdrawal, where you're structuring qualified accounts and Roth accounts in the appropriate uh, risk profile. I'll give you an example here. So, so people know kind of what we're referencing. If we're going to have an account that has more risk, what registration would we most often use to have greater risk in? The Roth account. The Roth account. Okay. If we're distributing oftentimes earlier in retirement and subsidies are not of primary concern, we're oftentimes going to distribute from uh, IRA, IRA or, or taxable account. the taxable account. And when we're distributing from an IRA or taxable account, we're oftentimes distributing from an individual, if it's a married couple, that's older or younger, typically someone that's older, right? Right. Reducing that RMD pressure later. And, and so by default, we can handle and manage risk differently based off the registration of the account right. to help control the flow of that money and the performance of the assets in basically from a tax perspective that we want it. That seems kind of confusing. I feel like I might've lost everybody. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah no, because the idea of if we're, if we have these three buckets, right, we have taxable, tax deferred, tax free Roth accounts. If the idea is, well, if we want to control the tax game and play it on our own field, then let's utilize the, the ones that will hurt us and impact us the worst mm-hmm. up front. So let's start to wind down the raw. I'm sorry. Let's start to wind down the taxable. Let's start to wind down the tax deferred accounts so that one, our required minimum distribution levels are lower. But then, but if that's the case, then our, our need for the Roth just gets deferred. And so it may, it may be a situation where it's 10, 15 years before we even have to use the Roth accounts. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, then why not take on a little more risk or your plan can afford to take on a little more risk on that Roth bucket because it's going to be one of the last vehicles we use for income. 
Yeah, I think I think you said that perfect. You summed up all my confusion cleanly. <laughs> it's it really is. It's it, it when it comes to taxes. I guess the to to close it out in a very simple sentence. Tax planning goes all the way from contributing correctly, managing correctly, withdrawing correctly, and transferring, journaling, or converting correctly. Right. Okay. All of those layers have to mix in. And that and that statement that we were making was how to manage risk correctly from a taxable standpoint, uh, using the Roth appropriately from a risk perspective. Yeah. So um, anything else? Yeah, no, that, that's that's tax planning, right? So when we say we're doing tax planning, this is the, these are the things that we're considering for for you guys. Yeah. You know, we're we're there's so many layers that go behind it. It's not just a simple which account do we pull from? There's there's more that goes into the decision um, uh, that we make for you. So next week we'll hit the major topic, conversions. Yes. And then maybe finish with tax planning from an estate perspective. Okay. Like later. That. So hey, listen, we hope you guys have a wonderful week. Get out there, knock it down, live well, live intentional, be a blessing to others, love others, and we hope you have an awesome week. Be a good neighbor. Investment advisory services offered through Asset Management Group, a registered investment advisor. Andrew Knight and Moise Param provide general information, not individually targeted personalized advice, and are not liable for the usage of information discussed. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles should not be considered investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any of these financial vehicles. This information should also not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with a professional specializing in the fields of tax, legal accounting, or investments regarding the applicability of this information for their situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing company or offered through Asset Management Group. By contacting Asset Management Group, you may be provided information regarding the purchase of insurance products.